Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. I'm really expectant that God's going to do something tonight that is unprepared from me. Um, I think we should always have the expectation that God doesn't necessarily need our structure to move, but we just need to be surrendered uh, in our structure for Him to move. And so I'm really believing that there's, this is a word for someone tonight. Maybe it's a word for, I think it's a word for all of us tonight, but God really wants to specifically stir in some people's hearts today um, this message that we're going to continue talking to in regards to prayer. Uh, the last couple of weeks we've been focusing on uh, what it is, what prayer actually is, and our call and response to prayer. And today we're going to be looking at a specific story found in the Old Testament um, about prayer. Um, it's uh, found in the book of 1 Samuel. Now to introduce you to the day and age of Israel at this time, um, Israel has been uh, led by judges. And, and the priesthood is very much uh, um, front and center of how Israel follows uh, the voice of God. And so in the book of Samuel, we, we meet uh, the house of Eli, and Eli is uh, the priest there at the tabernacle, and his, his two sons uh, are also serving there, uh, Phineas and Hophni, they're also serving there. And, and to give you an understanding of where Israel is at at this time, Phineas and Hophni are corrupt. They're priests that are corrupt. Okay, so they're literally taking the portion of people's sacrifices that they're bringing to God. Phineas and Hophni, you read about them actually taking the best part for themselves and, and eating the best part of what was dedicated to God from somebody else, and they're taking it. Um, we also read that they're also sleeping with the women who are serving in the tabernacle. Let me tell you, you shouldn't probably be following someone that's living their life that way. But these are the guys that are, that are leading Israel when it comes to the priesthood of Israel. These are the guys in charge. So you can imagine the landscape when it comes to uh, spiritualism, when it comes to the spiritual walk of Israel. It's, it's led by these two corrupt men. And Eli, the, their father, he can't keep them under control. Like he actually can't stop them from doing the sinful things that they're doing. And it's a shame on him and his household. But this is the landscape as we come into 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles here, who's got their Bibles? iPhone, iPad, but there's nothing quite like, I don't know, the paper, listen. Sounds good. It's a good sound. So good. But we're having a look at this passage, and it's in 1 Samuel chapter 1, it's the very beginning, and it's a small portion of actually this book that is divided into two books, in 1 and 2 Samuel. But in 1 Samuel chapter 1, let's read this together. There was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, kind of sounds like Tofu, hey? You'd be good friends with them. Um, <laughs> the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. Okay. Um, one was called Hannah and the other Penina. Penina had children, but Hannah had none. 
Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the bad guys, like if this is a movie, these are the bad guys, um, the two sons of Eli were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because, oh, because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Once, when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife, Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. God, we come around your word today. We uphold your word as the authority that we live by. And we just pray right now as we come into your presence, your Holy Spirit would be here speaking to our hearts and our minds. That the word that you want to speak into Avant Life Church would be one that radically shifts and changes our path into drawing closer to you in your ways, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is... This is the introduction to 1 Samuel, and this is the story about Hannah's prayer, Hannah's vow. And we see this woman who's in complete anguish because the very thing that she desires, she does not have. And she finds herself in a place where she cannot even eat of the offering that was taken up. So, and it's actually really interesting. This offering was actually a peace offering. And there was no peace in Hannah's life, and she didn't sit and eat she wouldn't take this offering, yet after she says this prayer and Eli sees her, she's able to get up, she's able to eat, she's able to worship, but she's not like, she hasn't had a son, but she's still able to find herself in a position of worship. And so we're going to have a look at, at Hannah's prayer and the effects that Hannah's prayer had for, has for us. Like for you and me, the, the reason that we are being able to stand or sit here today in the presence of God is because 
a woman named Hannah prayed a prayer a long, long time ago. And we're going to unlock some of that. You know, in the Old Testament times, we see um, and we can read about it in, in uh, Judges, this thing called a Nazarite vow. And we see it evident in Hannah's prayer where she says, no razor will be put on my son's head. Now, a Nazarite vow was a vow that someone would come and they would consecrate themselves. They would set themselves apart. They would make a vow with God. They'd make a prayer unto God and say, and dedicate themselves to that prayer, to that vow. And during the course of that time, they would not have a razor near their head. They, were, they wouldn't drink of anything from the grapevine and they wouldn't go near a dead body. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And so this Nazarite vow is something that we see evident in Hannah's prayer. And it's really interesting that Eli, the father of Phineas and... Thank you. Um, (laughs) He's sitting at the front of the tabernacle. Now, this is where... Where Eli is sitting is where someone would come once they had finished their vow. They would cut off their hair because they hadn't actually cut their hair, they would cut off their hair and they'd put it in the offering once the completion of their vow was done. And so it's quite interesting that Eli's sitting there. And I don't know if this is something that he may have been waiting for, but in the time of chaos where his sons were ruling Israel through corruption and through perversity, here's Eli maybe just waiting that someone would stand up and make a difference in Israel, that maybe someone would come along and actually consecrate and set themselves apart to see Israel realigned with the word of God. And here he gets a drunk woman. Now you got to understand, this is, Eli's probably so frustrated because he knows what his sons are up to. So the thought of having a drunk woman around probably isn't something that was uncommon because of their behavior. They were sleeping around with the women of the, of the temple. Like, it's not, a, it's not a good deal there. And so Eli's probably so fed up. He's so fed up with this type of behavior. And here he is waiting, maybe waiting, that someone would set themselves apart for the Lord. And he gets a woman who appears to be drunk. And it's so funny how the things that we're constantly waiting on, we're waiting for God to bring something into our life, it always turns up in the most unexpected ways. Like, a drunk woman. That was his perception. wasn't a fact, but it was his perception. He's praying. He's waiting for someone to stand up and actually make a difference in Israel. And he gets Hannah, a barren, drunk, dismayed, distraught, weeping mess. How many times have you had something like that come into your life and you've dismissed it? Yet maybe God was trying to work through it. This is, this is the woman that we see in 1 Samuel, is this, this mess of a woman. And it's in this anguish, it's in this barrenness, it's in this despair that Hannah actually does something that so many of us are afraid to do. She prays a prayer to God. And her prayer is this. It's an incredible prayer. If I can find it. There we go. Lord Almighty, this is how she starts, Lord Almighty, it's really important you hear that, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son. How many times have we been like, God, remember me, I'm here, please, Lord, if you would only see my need and see where I'm at and see the anguish and see what I want and see the desire of my heart, 
God, can you just remember me? Can you look at me? Who's prayed a prayer like that? So many of us. But you know what Hannah does that so many of us don't do? She finishes the prayer. She says this, Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. See, we're really happy with the first half of that. We're really happy to pray a prayer that says, Meet me in my need, Lord. But how often are our prayers to God for God? How many times do we actually go to God because we want to use, be used by God? We actually want Him to give us provision that we would then be able to give back to Him. It's so interesting. Often the answers to our problems we're waiting for don't look the way that we want them to look. Hannah came. She's the answer. Her prayer in, her, in, in the way that she's holding herself is the answer. Oh, Lord Almighty. You know, it, it's, it's interesting that she uses this terminology. It, we find it in, in the book of Samuel to start. It's the first time we really see this language start to come. Oh, Lord Almighty. And it's this acknowledgement of sovereignty of God, the sovereignty of God. And we're going to get into what that really means. But you need to understand this going on and looking at the story of Hannah and, and moving throughout the scriptures to where you're, you are now. This, this phrase, O Lord Almighty, is incredibly key. It's so interesting that she not only sets herself apart for God, but she sets her desire apart to God. We come here and we go, God, here's all my heart, all my soul, all my love, you can have it all. As soon as it looks tangible to the very desire that we have, we start to retract our statements. We start to be people that that sounds like a really big deal for me to give to you because at the heart of it, our prayers at times can be prayers of selfishness rather than of serving the Lord Almighty. The other half of the prayer actually requires us to trust Him with our future. Did you know for Hannah to actually have a son meant that she set herself up for her future? See, the inheritance wasn't passed down to the wives remaining, but it was passed down to the sons. So this prayer that Hannah has is not just a prayer for a maternal desire, but it's a prayer for a future security. A prayer for a future security. How many of you are sitting here now going, I've got these future securities lined up in my head and it's got to look like A, B, C and D in this career and this path and this one and this one. And you've got the ideal future secure in your hands and in your heart. For Hannah, having a son literally secured her future. If she didn't have children, then the inheritance from her husband would be passed to her rival's children. So the very woman that provokes her to tears and grieving where she can't eat will then have power and authority over her when her husband passes. So this prayer that Hannah prays meets a need for her. It meets an actual tangible physical need for her. And it's this moment of trust in God for all of that. It's going, God, yes, I want you to give me a son because I, there's all these desires and there's all these things that I need. But at the same time, if you do that for me, I'm going to give it back. So it's kind of like, well, 
that security is given over to him anyways. Like, it wouldn't make a difference because she'd be giving her son to the Lord to serve in that temple. And so her security in having a son, she's giving back to him. Yet so often we don't like completing this prayer because we don't want to let the security that we have set in our hearts about our future to actually be trusted into the Lord Almighty. We do. We do it all the time. Well, I'm saving up for this house and I want it to look like this and this. And we have all these hopes and these dreams and they're they're wonderful things. A son is a wonderful thing. But do we hold things so tightly that we don't let, oh Lord Almighty, come and take those things and then trust him to do what he needs to do with those things? Hannah's vow was excessive. A Nazarite's vow, so the vow of a Nazarite, It generally had like a a time attached to it, but she's literally giving her son for life. Her vow was an excessive one, which meant she had excessive trust in Jesus, excessive trust in God. Can we actually, it's so funny because we would put parameters on it, right? We'd be like, well, I'm going to consecrate myself and set myself apart to be holy for the Lord for this period of time. And, but that's what a Nazarite vow was. But she's excessive in it. She's like, well, no, I'm just going to do it forever. Like I'm laying it all down. Like I'm laying my whole life down for you to do what you want to do, Lord. Do we limit our sacrifices based upon the potential tangible need we see possibly in the future, maybe around the corner? It was actually in the completion of this prayer that changed the purpose and the outworking of the prayer. How many times have we limited the purpose and the outworking of a prayer because we've limited the prayer to meet just what our desire is? How available are we making our prayers to God, for God? It's a great challenge that we all have to come to terms with when, when we talk about this topic of prayer. It's exampled by the most unique person think about Hannah's situation. Like, culturally, she is not someone that people would flock to. Actually, it it would be considered shame that she didn't have children. And how many times has God brought people that we would consider to be shameful and he's used them? He's used them, which means, guess what? In our position of our prayers to him, he can use us. Because so many of us are probably sitting here going, I am the most shameful. And the things that are in my past and the things that I've done, and and, and there's so much shame attached to who I am that I can't even complete that prayer. But it's actually in that moment, that completion of the prayer, that the purpose is really starting to be outworked in his life. We let our our uncertainty of our lives actually determine what we allow God to use. There's too much uncertainty, so I'm not going to let God touch that because I need to have control. Even in her uncertainty of her life was left in God's hands. The thing that you're asking for God right now, whatever it is, that desire, it could be a desire, it could be an actual need. For Hannah, it was both. Whatever it is, are you willing to complete that prayer? Are you actually willing to go, God, 
I need this or I desire this or this is something that is really on my heart, are you ready to actually complete the prayer that says, but I give it all back to you? We all have it. But there are some things already that you're sitting in your seats and you're going, yes, but not that. Yes, but not that. Not my relationship. Not my finances. Not my career. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of things that we're a little bit touchy about, yet this was a son. This was a child. Don't ever tell me that there is anything more valuable than the human life, especially the innocent human life. This was a child that she was willing to give to God because why? She knew that God would do a better job of caring for that child than she would have anyways. There was a certainty in the character of God in her prayer that determined her being able to complete the prayer So that she was able to be open-handed with the one who knew what he was doing. Yet we hold things that are just so peripheral to human life so tightly. And some of you probably are here today going, I've got this career planned. I've got this going on. I've got this going on. And 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 you may be really proud of that and that's fantastic. But could you be more proud of the fact that it would be in God's hands rather than in your own? What did it leave her with? It left her with just God. If you gave it all up, if you gave every desire, every need up to God, what would it leave you with? It'd just be you and God. And are you okay with that? At at the end of the day, that's the question we've got to ask ourselves. Are you okay if it's just you and God? Everyone talks about John the Baptist being this incredible person in the New Testament who baptizes Jesus, but nobody wanted to walk the path of John the Baptist. He was wearing camel's fur and stuff and ate like locusts. Like the cost of his ministry was one that we probably don't want to bear, but we highlight it and we go, that's incredible. That's awesome. The things that you actually hold up high and go, that's an incredible life and that's an incredible person who's worked in ministry in incredible ways. You hold it up high, but if it were to come down to it, would you be able to walk the path? Would you be able to actually give everything to God to walk the path that he wants you to walk in? It's a challenging thought. Here Hannah is in her complete despair, asking for a son and in the same prayer, giving it back to God, giving the child back to God. What are the prayers that you need to pray in completion to set yourself apart for God? It's really interesting that she asks God for a son And Samuel was her son that she received. But in the hands of the Lord Almighty, he was so much more. It's really interesting as we read in, in, as you read further on in 1 Samuel chapter 2, that after Hannah actually completed the vow and at about, it's estimated about the age of three, when she brought Samuel to Eli and dedicated Samuel to Eli, to God, to work in the temple, one, she, enters, she, she praises God in that moment. But it was after that that God actually opened her womb and she had five other children. She had five other children. So where the prayer could have ended with, Lord, give me a son, she would have maybe gotten a son. But God sees the desire. He sees the need. He sees the anguish. He sees what's on your heart 
And not only does He want you to trust Him with that one, in that trust, He's going to flow more miracles into your life. This is a woman that was completely barren and God unlocked that in her life, not just for Samuel, but for five more children. The miracle is there. It's waiting. God's waiting to pour out His blessing on you. Can we complete this prayer? Can we actually enter into a relationship with God and actually complete these prayers? She had complete ownership over the prayer to the point that she followed through in her vow. How many times have we said a prayer going, God, I give you all, but then when it's time to actually commit to God, we're like, yeah, but I didn't mean it like that. Like, what I really meant was, and if I had added this word, it would have meant this. Like, we play politics with God. And he's like, no, no, no. I know your heart. I I saw your anguish. I saw your pain. I saw your desire. It's really important as we look at Hannah's prayer to understand who Samuel is. So who is Samuel? See, her prayer focuses on God's sovereignty. Now, sovereign is this word that is associated with kings, queens, and people of nobility. So her prayer focuses on God actually being sovereign, right? Being in charge, being king. To fully understand and appreciate the prayer and the vow of Hannah, we need to look at who her son was. This was Samuel. He was to be the last judge of Israel. He was beckoning in the reign of kings. Samuel would actually go on to not only anoint Saul, the first king over Israel, but the second king, King David, over Israel. Not only that, he was actually in charge of establishing what that kingship Uh, way would be looking like. So this is Samuel going from being the judge over Israel to commissioning how this new way of living for Israel would be. He was establishing the framework for how kings would operate. And in in contrast to the other uh, nations that were establishing kings at that time, his main commission was to do it making sure that God was still sovereign. This is something that was example to him. How? Well, through his mother's prayer. See, Samuel was able to actually bring in the reign of kings with God still being sovereign because his mother prayed a long time ago that God would be sovereign in his own life. So Samuel was able to actually establish this reign of kings based upon the prayer of this drunk, barren, grieving, weeping woman. That's no small thing, okay? Hannah seems insignificant. Her prayer seems insignificant. Yet because of Hannah comes Samuel. Because of Samuel comes a framework for kings to actually rule. Now, get this. She doesn't realize that her prayer, by the way, and her praise that we find in 1 Samuel 2 is prophetic. It's actually incredible because Hannah's prayer led to Samuel. Samuel led to David. David led to Solomon. Solomon to Rehoboam, to Abijah, to Asaph, to Jehoshaphat, to Joram, to Uzziah, to Jotham, to Ahaz, to Hezekiah, to Manasseh, to Amos, to Josiah, to Jeconiah, to Shetiel, to Zerabarul, to Abiad, to Elikim, to Azor, to Zadok, to Achim, to Elihud, to Eliezer, to Matan, to Jacob, to Joseph, whom was the husband of Mary who bore Jesus. Hannah's prayer 
Hannah's prayer brought about the man who would bring in the reign of kings so that the reign of the king could come. Do you understand what your prayers do when you actually take your prayer to God, for God? It actually brings in the reign of the king. Honestly, Hannah didn't see this coming. Yet in 1 Samuel chapter 2, this is her praise after she's dedicated Samuel. This is the last line that she says. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. She didn't realize, but her praise because of her prayer was prophetic to the king of kings coming to reign in this land so that you and I can stand here, sit here and bring glory to the king. That is the sovereign work of God. That is the sovereign work of God. If we would only position ourselves to complete these prayers, would we not realize that those prayers going up to God, for God, lead to the King being present? We need to start positioning ourselves like barren, drunken women walking into a church, willing to give it all up again, coming in complete humility Actually going, you know what? If I just complete this prayer, if I actually just dedicate this prayer... Jesus might come. Jesus might actually come into a situation. She had no idea. This woman had no idea that generations later, generations later, Jesus would be born. And do you know what? Hannah's praise that we find in 1 Samuel 2 is echoed in Luke chapter 2, where Mary finds out she's pregnant with her son, Jesus, and she echoes the same praise. You don't understand. This is a moment where Hannah by herself, being watched by Eli in complete anguish. How many times have you been there? Where you think no one's watching and you're just giving up your desire and you're giving up this thing to God, yet you make this prayer to God. And it's this heartfelt, humble prayer. It's this earnest, humble positioning of your heart that then could potentially lead to the reign of kings coming so that Jesus might be seen in this place. Don't think that your prayers don't mean anything. The power of prayer has been echoed throughout the Gospels, echoed throughout the Old Testament all the way through. Do you know how many years this is? Yeah, because Hannah, in her humility, in her brokenness, in her willing to lay it all down in the completion of a prayer so that her prayer to God could be used for God, echoed in the reign of the King. If that isn't the sovereign God at work, I don't know what is church. So don't come at me with thinking that prayer is this meek and weak thing. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is the thing that makes way for the king to enter. I believe that God is wanting to do something in our hearts tonight where we would actually be in a position where Hannah was in, where we'd be willing to complete the prayer. We're going to enter back into a time of worship and our worship is going to be lifting up the sovereign God because it's in that position. She started, oh Lord Almighty. That's the first words that came out of her mouth. Oh Lord Almighty. It was this complete trust in the sovereignty of God, that He was King, that over the reign of kings to come over Israel, that He was King. So that when a baby was born in a manger to be King, In the same humble way that Hannah prayed that prayer, we see Jesus come into the world. We see Jesus starting to encounter people. Do your prayers lead people to Jesus? Are your prayers making a way for Jesus? Are they making a way for you to keep control 
over your life so that your future might be secure in your eyes. God is sovereign and in His sovereignty, He doesn't control. He brings blessing and blessing and blessing. Five children more for Hannah. Five children more. Church, why don't you stand with me? Do we come into our prayer life willing to lay our prayers down to the sovereignty of God? If there is any takeaway from today is that we should be declaring that God is sovereign. You know, the Bible is full of declaration of God's goodness, God's miracles. Like if you read the Psalms, it's, it's, it's about how good God is. If you read Mary's praise in, in Luke chapter 2, it's about how good God is. When you read Hannah's prayer of praise in 1 Samuel chapter 2, it's about how good God is. How is it that we've allowed ourselves to have a foundation of half a prayer that then dictates our praise not being evident because we're so often needy and we're so often ready to receive without willing to give back, not realizing that we're robbing and restricting our own selves. The reality is we get to stand here today in the presence of the reign of the King. Why? Because so many years ago, a broken, despairing woman gave it all. What is the thing that you were needing to give back to the sovereign God? Like this is, this is God Almighty. Do we really reflect on who He is enough to actually make a way for what He can do? Instead of just focusing on what's in front of us, we spend so much time praying prayers about, fill me, fill me, fill me, fill me, yet we never actually give anything to Him to work with. And He just wants to work. He just wants to do His miracle working stuff. He's great at it. He's better at it than you are. He's better at it than I am. So can we give that sovereign reign back to Him by committing the things that we hold dear to Him? Church, now is the time for us to really declare the sovereign reign of God. And we're going to worship. We're going to praise I'm going to hang out here a little bit because I really believe God is speaking and wants to move in different ways. And so you just better get ready to lay your life down. If you want to see a miracle, start getting ready to lay your life down again. Thanks, Joel. Come on, Colin, let's worship. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.